Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name's Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing wellbeing information, inspiration, and support for teachers, leaders, and school staff around the world. My guest today is Buki Youssef. Buki is a senior leader, science teacher, and coach. She's had a number of leadership roles within mainstream and special schools and is also an ambassador for Leadership Matters. Bookie's involved with a number of grassroots organizations, including her roles as a network leader and coach for Women Ed and BAME Ed, and a steering group member of the Teacher Five a Day Wellbeing Initiative for Educators. Beyond the classroom, Bookie has a variety of education technology experiences, which includes participating as a judge for the EdTech 50 schools, BET Awards, and serving as an education board member for Innovate My School. She's co-chair of the EdTech Leadership Group to support the government's EdTech strategy. And Bookie co-hosts a weekly show on YouTube, which focuses on education within the UK. It's called Hashtag UK EduStories. All of these are in the show notes. And Bookie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Maria. Thank you for inviting me today. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So let's get started. Um, with Teacher Five a Day, for people who don't know what Teacher Five a Day is, will you just give us an overview and how you oh. came to it? All right. Okay. So I think depending on um, if you've engaged with me in different webinars, some people may have heard this before, but Teacher Five a Day and it's, it um, was uh, created by Deputy Head Teacher Martin Ria in December 2014. And it was one way of allowing educators um, to engage with their well-being and looking at, you know, like managing the workload. Now, this this was pre the discussions we actually have now, you know, the prevalence of mental health and well-being. This was way before that. So it's cutting edge thinking. He was obviously thinking ahead of his time. Now, he engaged with me in December 2014 on Twitter and said, you know, would you be interested? And ironically, I was just so busy with where I was working. I said, no. I can't. I haven't got the time. Sounds really good, but I don't have the time. And it took me being ill that subsequent um, Christmas break. I was ill for about, I think, eight to 10 days, actually laid up in bed. And I just thought, something's got to change. And that made me then decide to actually engage with Teacher Five a Day. So for anyone who's not actually aware of Teacher Five a Day, there are five different aspects um, that it actually encourages, encouraging, encourages, I can't even say this, <laughs> actually allows us to engage with, yeah, tongue twister morning. Um, so you've got um, connecting and that is making sure that we don't work in isolation. So particularly if you're in leadership positions, whether it's middle senior leadership, school leadership positions, you can have a sense of um, feeling increased isolation. I know it can actually happen from a main scale perspective as well. You know, as the term wears on, um, the workload increases, you may find yourself not spending as much time with your nearest and dearest. And by nearest and dearest, I, co collect, I use that collective term for anyone that you love to spend time with. It could be a partner, family members, whomever. So it's enable us to connect in different ways. Then the, the idea of exercise. Well, now we all know, you know, you know, at start of the, the new um, start of the new year, new year resolutions, gym memberships increases. We're going to be exercising x number of times a week and all the rest of it. But that is one of the first things that just disappear when we get busy. So it's actually looking at committing to um, exercising in ways that work best for us. There's also learning, and by learning, it's looking at things beyond your role that you engage it could be hobbies interests, personal interests, skills you want to develop things that you know bring you joy 
noticing links a, li- a little bit to mindfulness, but actually be more present in the moment. Now, I, I t- notice a lot now because I teach a five a day because I'm one of those. I'm an ambivert, so I can be in my head as well as out loud and all the rest of it. What I didn't realize is that when I was uh, stressed, I was more internal. Mm-hmm. And I and I wasn't noticing things around me. So seasons would pass by. And I suddenly think, oh my God, when did spring suddenly arrive, so to speak? Because I wasn't actually, you know, paying special attention to things around me. So let's notice. And the last thing is volunteering, where we can actually give back. And there is a lot of anecdotal as well as um, some research data that actually shows the impact, the positive impact of giving back. So it could be, you know, like um, sending thank you notes or emails to people, making donations, checking on your neighbours. I think uh, one positive thing about the pandemic is that we saw, you know, the volunteering, the community spirit being, you know, raised because people were actually looking out for each other. But not only does it mean that you're giving out, but it, it means, you know, like it's the sense of uplifting that it actually has for you. So that's a very brief summary of those five aspects. So it's not to say that you have to engage with all of them every day or every week or every month. It's just being mindful of tapping into them as and when you can so that it enables you to, um, I suppose, maintain your own personal work-life boundaries, as I call it, or work-life balance. Thank you, Bookie. And I, I think that um, that segues nicely, actually, into what you just said, work-life boundaries, <laughs> because balance seems to have gone out the window more than ever. So mm. let's talk about boundaries, and then we'll just kind of weave through the theme of the teacher five a day, uh, the, those five key elements to that throughout this conversation as well so tell us about work-life boundaries well this is this is a term that I, I uh, saw on I think it was maybe it's through a LinkedIn post or somewhere else and I shared it on LinkedIn I can't, I can't remember came across it about a couple of months ago and um, it's it's moving away from the fact that you know like we have to have things in balance because it's not always possible but making sure we have boundaries so if I use myself as an example as a night night owl I can quite easily work into the middle of the night, um, obviously have a later start and feel, you know, refreshed and revived and continue to go. Now, I know that doesn't that doesn't work with everybody, but with the boundaries, I just think, what am I putting in place to ensure that I'm not overworking, overstretching myself? So I'm happy to work late, um, for example, on a Friday evening. And, you know, traditionally, Friday evenings, the end of the school work week or the end of the working week. You, you might want to finish early and uh, start your weekend early, which, which if it works for you, which is justifiable, that's, that's fine. For me, it doesn't work like that. So I've recognised, okay, my boundary basically is my weekend. Saturdays, sacrosanct, as far as I possibly can, I won't do anything work-related. So what do I need to put in place to ensure that the Saturday is spent like that? So what I do is I'm happy to work as late as I need to be and it's comfortable for me on a Friday so that mentally I'm cleared, physically, you know, my workload is cleared and I can just enjoy my Saturday and not worry about, oh goodness, there's a thing on, you know, to-do list and things like that. And Sunday, it's a little bit of flexibility. If I feel, okay, there are things that I need to prepare for the working week ahead, I can do so. But if I don't, it's all good. Now I've put particular things in place to enable that I can work that way. So Monday to Friday, quite flexibly now. And I think COVID, uh, the COVID experience means that I'm less rigid, but more flexible in terms of ensuring that there are things in place um, during the working week 
that I can get done. And that's why I love using tech because it saves a lot of time. It can be front loaded. You know, you may have to um, learn the skills or know how to use things properly, but it can enable me to work across lots of different devices. So I could start something at school if I wanted to, continuing working it at home. And I don't feel bad about that because it's part of my Monday to Friday working week. Continuing, uh, continue that, pick up what I've left off um, for my mobile and continue working on my Mac. And that's fine. It works to me. So, long, you know, so it's, that's just a, a very crude example of what I mean by boundaries, just putting things in place um, that allows you to work in ways that work best for you. Because I think sometimes we have ideas, which are great ideas, Sometimes they can feel as if though we're obliged to do them or we, you know, it's been imposed upon us to do that. But it doesn't, it doesn't take into, into account of our own personal circumstances and what works best for us. And that's why I prefer to use the word ba- work-life boundaries rather than work-life balance. Yeah, and I think you make a really great point there, Bookie, that um, it's what works for us and you know, for we all have different circumstances at home and and different kind of levels of autonomy and working, you know, in, in isolation or bubbles are bursting. I mean, there's just so much going on at the moment that um, when we're working from home, I think many people find that difficult, understandably, especially if, if they have children. Mm. So it's there's a, levels of complexity at the moment that we've not experienced before. So I think having some boundaries around that will help us to find some balance by it, extension. Yes, it, it's true. And, you know, boundaries might be time boundaries, for example. Because yeah. um, one of the interesting thing, I mean, you know, like, because I work on a flexible basis. So I work part-time in school as well as doing part-time consultancy. So, you know, working flexibly and working at home, it's not unusual for me. But what was interesting during, um, you know, particularly the first lockdown period where some educators reported that actually their workloads had increased because it was the expectation of, you know, from certain schools or institutions about, you know, you will clock on at this time and you will work until this time and you will demonstrate evidence that you've been working. So, you know, they may have to submit schemes of work or curriculum maps, all types of things. So that's that. But it didn't take into account the fact that, you know, some of them had kids (laughs) that they had to support with their learning or children that, you know, they needed to take care of. So I remember reading an account of someone who said that they started, I think, at seven o'clock in the morning, finished about seven o'clock in the evening with regards to work in between trying to just take care of a young child. Then as soon as seven o'clock came, they then had to go into mum, you know, like mum mode to, you know, like, you know, like meal preparation, all these type of things. And I just thought, God, that's, that's not, it's not sustainable. And I felt, I, I really did ask questions about the institution that expected that type of setup. Because to me, when you're, you know, particularly during a pandemic, no one, no one has ever been through a pandemic before. The anxieties, the uncertainties, the effect it will have on your mental health and well-being should be recognised. And therefore, we cannot be expected to work as we normally would. There's got to be some, you know, give and take in that regard. And trust, you know, that your staff will do the right thing. That's a really great word. And just... um just forgive the noise outside. Somebody's got a leaf blower. Oh, right. <laughs> so <a> funny noise <laughs> Always coming. the way, isn't it? As soon as you come online, <laughs> that's when things happen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I do apologise for that noise to our lovely listeners. Um, so, yeah, give, give and take and trust. How do we build trust? That's a great point to... 
When I can talk about my school's experience, and I have done, I blogged about it um, for about 12 weeks until it got too much. So during the first lockdown period, um, what was interesting was my head teacher, when we spoke, obviously we, the first um, conversation we had was actually looking at, okay, how are we going to set up remote learning, distance learning? What do we need to have in place? Checking sure that, you know, we were okay, staff were okay and all the rest of it. First thing she asked me was, how are you? How are you? How are things at home? you know, how are you coping? What can I do to support you? So we had a chat and I asked the same thing, how things going, da, 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 you know, what, what have you? Because I knew that there were certain things going on behind the scenes as well. So we had a, a chat as two human beings, first and foremost, showing care. Then we spoke about school-based things. And so even though, for example, I work in a special school, so the learning is critical because we need to make sure that every single lesson has a desired impact upon progress and where possible attainment to help our students, our young people to be successful learners. So we, so even though that was there, we still made sure that time was put, you know, we had time built in to ensure that we were okay, our young people were okay, their families were okay. Um, the tech that they needed to enable to you know, engage with teaching learning was in place. And if it wasn't in place, rather than making them feel bad, thinking, okay, how can we support you? And then linking with the appropriate services to make sure that we've got things in place. And then touching base. So we had, um, I think the usual time and our lessons, but if the student, if the young person was stressed or found it difficult to regulate because now, you know, their sleep patterns were out of whack or things like that, you know, not out of whack, but out of sync and things like that. We, we contacted them, you know, to make sure, okay, you know, if you can engage in like five minutes, that's fine. We want to make sure you're okay. Spoke to the families and make sure, okay, this is what, we, you know, we're, they're going to be doing. The work is on um, Google Classroom. So just please make sure that they actually engage with it. We put the systems in place, but also, you know, but we took care of the people as well. And I think that demonstrated trust and care because we were being treated as human beings who were experiencing a really challenging situation. And we were also encouraged to share when we were finding, when we were personally finding things difficult. So for so example, there were some periods in which, not periods, but there were days in which some staff could not come online because of childcare issues. So there were things that were put in place. You know, we, we all stepped up as a community to think, okay, how can we support? What can we make sure it's online all the rest of it? It was, it was really powerful. And I have to, I'll be honest, Maria, I didn't even factor that in because um, uh, in being in charge of teaching and learning, my concern was how are we going to, where we've got students who learn in a particular way in face-to-face, yeah. how on earth are we going to bring that online? So I was worried about all of that, the technical aspects, whereas my head teacher was thinking steps ahead and thinking, okay, how do we take care of ourselves? And the reason why she said, she, she made it really clear that the reason why we had to take care of ourselves is that we needed to be well within ourselves, mentally, physically, emotionally, in order to do right by our students. If we were not in a position of, you know, if we were not in that position, we couldn't actually do right by the students. And I say it goes back to the fact that every single lesson has to have the desired outcome to ensure that our students are successful learners. So taking things right back to basics, but having the humanity and the care woven through that was powerful. Yes. 
Uh, incredible, <laughs> incredible. And it reminds me, I, I did a, a podcast episode uh, a little while back with Ernest Janavs, and he um, is the CEO of a company called Edurio, and they've done the biggest piece of research about the impact of COVID on, on schools. And mm-hmm. they, you know, they interviewed or, you know, um, got information from 45,000 people, including all stakeholders across the, the school, so staff, families and the students and young people. And they said the number one thing that made a difference to everybody across the board was communication, yeah. exactly as you described. And, mm. and, and he said, if anything, over-communicate and especially communicate when you don't have all the answers. Yes. Rather than feeling like you can only share information that you're sure of, if you can just, as you say so beautifully, build in that humanity and care and say, okay, this is what we know now. Mm-hmm. This is the best information we have. What can we do? And I think your role, Pookie, as, you know, focusing on learning and supporting your young people, especially in a school with, with children with um, special needs, of course, is critical as well. So I think that combination is vital. Um, so, yeah, lovely example of how important communication is and humanity and care. Mm, definitely definitely yeah as I said it's it's only when you go through it because you know we all had various wobbles at different stages but it 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 helped build the school community and by that not just the staff members and the young people but also the families as well it yeah you know you couldn't have planned it it was organic but you know credit and kudos to my head teacher for having the forethought but one one thing I forgot to say mm-hmm. is that um it did link to so at the start of the academic year so this is 20 um is it 20 I've got forgotten yeah 2019 2020 god my mind went blank for a moment mm-hmm. well-being well staff well-being was an absolute crystal focus about what we needed to you know ab- about taking care of ourselves to take care of our students. And I think that that, you know, the COVID-19 situation in a way highlighted the importance of that. And, you know, the fact that we had a strong foundation built in that regard. So again, it was core. I think um, what was really interesting, I had a conversation with a former head teacher, um, you know, like during the, the first lockdown period. And what he said was this about the fact that the, the, the ed tech you had or the technology you had in place was uh, exemplified the school vision. So it either shone a light on how good things were and what was actually, you know, you know, the values, the core values and things like that, or it highlighted where there were issues. And I thought that was a really interesting reflection because there were some schools that did things, you know, as I say, my school is, is an example of that, where the school community came out in a cohesive, well-supported way. But I know many other, you know, like educators because they're school setups who did not feel that way at all. And I just thought that was it was an interesting distinction. Absolutely. And what do you think the role of educational technology in that is? In the first sense, EdTech stands for educational technology. Technology can actually enhance um, the teaching and learning that takes place. So what can it do that you can't normally do in, um, you know, in a, in a class setting, in a face-to-face setting or anything like that? And I always say quite clearly, if it doesn't, if it doesn't add anything to it, there's no place for it. Mm. What it showed during um, what it showed during the first um, lockdown period is the fact that it can aid where you've got a clear strategy. It can aid communication and connectivity between mm. staff, the young people, and the families as well. It can also aid um, you know the continuation of learning and progress. 
Now that part you really need to be really clear about, okay, so in terms of teaching and learning, how do you want, you know, how do you want your staff to use the tech? So, um, you know, even things as simple as, say, PowerPoint. I know PowerPoint gets dissed left, right and centre. I love PowerPoint because it's so simple to use and versatile if you know how to use it. So you could use it in a distance learning sense. You know, I'm not, you know, there are so many different things, but as an example where, you can add um, audios, um, you know, like your voiceovers explaining worksheets of the learning to take place. You can include audio um, hints and tips for students that get stuck with certain things. So you actually give them steps to a pro- you know, steps to success and how to guide their thinking through a particular problem that you know they find difficult. You can include videos in it as well. You can convert your whole PowerPoint into a video. You could have a video recording where you're talking through, you know, like how to work through a particular, you know, um, exam question or what have you. Have that recording then uploaded onto a learning platform that students can actually um, use and go through as often as they need to in order to get that particular point. That's just one aspect. But I think that obviously, you know, when the 23rd of March came in 2020, we, you know, everyone was panicking. So you you just do what you can do. You just cobble it together. But um, the EEF, so the Education Endowment Foundation, where they actually put together some of the things that you needed to have in place for remote learning, effective remote learning. They were talking about things like where you have opportunities for students to still work together in a group setting or paired setting um, in a virtual sense. So things like uh, Teams or Zooms, where you have breakouts and opportunities for students to share their ideas could also hurt, you know, enhance learning. But I'm not criticizing anyone for how they may or may not have used it, you know, as they were all thrown in the deep end. But I think pre-COVID, what I've always said is the fact that with regards to your school development plan or school improvement plan, there should be a strand that links to teaching and learning And you've got to think about, you know, if there are teaching and learning aspects that you want to move forward, what role could EdTech have in that? And actually having the time to explore how it could do that and being clear at the, you know, the expected outcomes, maybe for different, you know, like students. So, for example, it could be for your more ables, the ASEMs, where we're constantly trying to reduce the learning gaps with their peers and things like that. But I think without that clarity, it becomes ad hoc and, um, Ad hoc in a sense that staff don't even get the CPD. CPD is also key. So unless staff know how to use it, and again, it's revisiting it. So one, one small credit to COVID-19 is the fact that we had a, you know, like an increase in online CPD, but often or not, they were bite-sized, very relevant, very specific. So if you have been shown something, you just didn't get it, because I'm one of those type of people. I, I'm an ed tech advocate but I don't always pick things up immediately. So I have to revisit it time and time again, okay, to, to get it. But now you've got, you know, like um, CPD where staff can actually revisit. You've got like a suite of different things where they can actually revisit and actually increase their skills so they can actually, you know, teach more effectively with it. So um, that's a really long answer <laughs> that type of thing. So I apologise about it, but it, it's, yeah. just, um, it's just something that I feel really passionately about because we've been using technology in education for years for years yeah. and it took this pandemic to actually bring it to the forefront of what we could possibly do with it we need to make sure we secure that and move forward because they're always one of the things I always say to people is that 
you will always have students, no matter what your setting is, that do not come on site to learn for whatever reason. How, what have we got in place to ensure that they still get quality teaching learning experiences that enables them to progress? And technology, edtech can actually help with that. Absolutely. Well, I was coincidentally, um, I was the chair of the EdTech Special Interest Group for the British Educational Suppliers Association for a number of years. And so Mm -hmm. it's a subject that's very close to my heart as well, because I've been involved in producing and developing a number of software programs. And, And what we've seen during the pandemic has been a lot of nervousness for for teachers particularly that have been delivering lessons live that's that's shown up as being one of the big kind of stressors for teachers what can we do and I think you make a a fantastic point about CPD and giving people the skills they need to use these um, programs well because like like we would never expect our learners to learn something and fly with it straight away it it takes time and there's a learning journey to to come on board with that so um what do you suggest people do other than well I guess CPD is the the obvious one anything else you could suggest that would give people confidence to use these things um better yeah so first and foremost don't make assumptions about what staff can and cannot do with edtech make sure that you you know you have like an audit and it doesn't have to be anything um you know arduous it could be a simple you know for example if you clear if you're clear about the you know the um ed tech tools that you want to use you know there must be you know there, and there'll be a particular breakdown about what you know you can do with the ed tech tools just do a simple like a very simple survey and you can use it through google forms or the team equipment you know like the uh, microsoft equivalent of that to um find out where the staff skills are so you can order, you know, you can see those that may, may need more support than others those that potentially may be your champions who could be used to actually uh, demonstrate training and things like that that's recorded. Um, I think also as well, one thing we didn't touch upon is making sure that the the facilities that staff have at home particularly are, you know, can help them to do what they need to do. So um, again, it was an assumption I made that of course every every teacher has a laptop at home, not necessarily, particularly if they are given start, you know, school-based laptops, um, which, you know, that, you know, for security reasons, what have you have to stay on site. So it's, it's just making, first of all, um, don't, you know, avoid making assumptions, know where the skills lie in terms of the hardware, what's available, Wi-Fi access, all that type of thing. And then just, you know, have a, a thorough breakdown of the skill sets and, and you know, put um, CPD opportunities in place. It's differentiated for those that are, you know, running ahead with it and could be your champions and saying demonstrate things it's all the way to those who need a lot more time and support with it. Great. What practical, <laughs> practical advice. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Bookie, I'd like to ask you about your work with uh, Women Ed and BAME Ed and... Mm-hmm. Tell us more about those two organisations, especially for people who don't know what they are and what, what's involved. Yes, yeah, so so Women Ed, I've been involved with them since, uh, I'm just thinking, I think it's October 2015 or 2014. I always get the dates wrong, 2014, yeah. about six years. Yeah. Um, and Women Ed basically is a grassroots organisation that supports women primarily it was to support women to go into leadership positions because at the time um and there still is to some extent a a lot of evidence to show that um there was a a, what would you call it 
glass ceiling yeah. in terms of progression and things like that. So we were just looking at supporting women into into going to leadership. It's it's but it's 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 um broadened into supporting women to work in a way in which they want. So in terms of say like for example flexible learning, um looking at supporting with you know like maternity and things like that and return to work off maternity. Looking at um I suppose uh you know uh different types of career pathways mm-hmm. um that aren't always explicitly shared and things like that. So with regards to women ed, I am a network leader for the London region, Women Ed London. And that basically means that we coordinate um, presentations, workshops, um, unconferences. And unconferences are like an informal get together. Um, you know, you could look at it as a, you know, like in terms of motivating, inspiring and training people, but in a very informal setup. We, so we tend to do that. We also have um, some members of the Women Ed London team also do skills workshop where they might help with, say, like applications, CVs and things like that. Very specific, practical things. I also do um, coaching. So I volunteer to, underco- um, to provide coaching for women. And what was interesting is pre-COVID, I also did it online. So there was, you know, like women who were based in the Midlands mm. who wanted coaching and things like that. So I undertook that. And it's, it's a very interesting process. With BAMED, BAMED um, stands for uh, Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic Educators. And I know that some people do not like to use that particular term, but within the UK, we use that term collectively um, to um, indicate teachers who are of colour. And it's a similar type of thing as well, that they're, you know, they're trying to um, support BAME educators in terms of their career progression. Because where I said with women, Ed, there's a, a glass ceiling. Some people um, describe it, you know, like for BAME progression in education, it's a concrete ceiling because there are other diff- additional aspects that um, need to be encountered as well as biases. So again, with BAMED, what I tend to do is um, deliver particular workshop, practical workshops, looking at how to hold challenging conversations, for example. And I also undertake um, voluntary coaching for them as well. In that time, and it's not a huge amount of time, so five or six years that you've been working with these organisations, are you seeing a difference in the, the glass ceiling or the concrete ceiling is uh, what what changes are you seeing what I'm seeing if I'm honest with you Maria it's a really good question what I'm seeing are goalposts being changed (laughs) so when I started so for example when we started with um, women ed obviously at the time it was actually good looking at getting more women into leadership positions and by that as head teachers since then I mean we've had more women go into head teacher roles or you have more women going into head of school roles and a head of school role, just to clarify, you know, my understanding of it, if you've got a head of school and a head teacher, the head of school is in a way like a deputy head teacher. You know, you, you still do not have the final decisions. You've got to, you know, go to the executive head teacher or whomever it is above you. So what we're having now is we're having more women going into sort of head of school or head teacher roles, but then you've got additional layers that have been created, like exec head teachers and things like that. Uh, you know, so yeah, goalposts. I would say goalposts. I think there are some changes. Don't get me wrong. I think there are some changes taking place, um, but the goalposts are also moving at the same time as well. Any suggestions or? Ooh, that would be a million. I tell you what, <laughs> if I could have suggestions on how to how to alleviate those particular, I would I I would be an instant billionaire. I think. <laughs> I wasn't suggesting I pay for them. 
no i i think oh goodness what what you need are you you know you Bayman, for example, you know, that just to clarify about suggestions, Bayman, for example, for example, make it clear, we are not just talking about, you know, um, enlisting the support of Black, Asian, minority, ethnic educators. This is everyone we want to get involved yeah. because it's about understanding things from different perspectives, understanding things from, um, you know, experiences that, you know, we, you know, our biases or experiences we have no idea about um, and therefore not aware about uh, some of the decisions that we, you know, we make and the implications it has on, you know, like um, a certain group of uh, people, particularly those that um, are within the protected characteristics. Mm. So I, I just think that it's about ongoing conversation and openness and a willingness to learn and listen to each other. But then translating that into action. And I think that's where the difficulty is. So over the years, what we have, what I've seen is there are more people engaging with the conversation, which is great. The difficulty now is actually translating that into meaningful and, and we're, or, or if there is um, action, sustainable action so that we're not having to keep rolling back. So it seems going back to the same issues that we may have encountered five, 10, 15, 20 years ago, because things move forward, but they roll back. So uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a combination of those things, I feel. Mm-hmm. And for people that want to get in touch with those organisations, I'll have notes in the show notes, but it seems like there's a lot happens on Twitter. And so you can mm-hmm. find those organisations on Twitter, but I will, um, do you want to just mention them now, Bookie, and then I'll have them in the show? Yes. So yes, you're right, Marie, in fact, that a lot does actually happen on Twitter, but uh, so it's for, um, for Women Ed, it's at Women Ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, for BAMED, it's at BAMED Network. But if you Google Women Ed or BAMED, you can also find the links directly to their websites and, you know, like, and, you know, like um, different people you actually connect with, blogs and things like that, events that are taking place in a virtual sense now um, that you can actually engage with. So there's lots there on their websites as well. And just as we start to wrap up, Bookie, I noticed that you have a great, it seems like a great love of poetry. Yes. tell, Tell us about what you did online. Poetry and and what poetry means to you. So, um, I, as I mentioned earlier about the fact that I'm involved with Teacher Five a Day, so for the past three to four years, I've actually created a pledge, and that's basically my commitment and also holding myself accountable because I've got people. It's out there, so people can actually ask me. So, how's this going? How's that going? And I know I need to do something with I love it. That. <laughs> so, last year, um, part of my learn commitment with Teacher Five a Day was learning poetry. Now, I love poems. I love poems because of the escapism, because of how it can actually make you look at things from a different context, mm-hmm. shifting perceptive, you know, perceptions. Um, I just, I just love the thinking. Sometimes it stimulates. Yeah. And how we could give you a pause for thought. And that links to the notice, the mindfulness of being in, you know, present. So last year, um, I decided to um, increase or improve or enhance my poetry skills. And um, James, um, at, um, and his Twitter handle is at Innerscope. He's, he does a lot of things with educators, but he's also a poet as well. Uh, gave me some sessions to improve my craft. And I happened to accidentally, well, I shared a poem um, that one of my colleagues shared at work. It's called St. Francis and the Sow. Sow or so, I say Sow. Um, and then uh, Martin Rea, who actually created Teach Five a Day, said it would be great to see some poems that are shared more regularly. So between September 2019 and July 2020, during term time, I shared a poem 
every single day mm-hmm. and it, it's just great I mean it's obviously it took time to curate it and I was it was, I was lucky enough to have some people suggesting poems as well to share but um yeah it, it's just it's I love it and um it was also a fantastic opportunity where Brett Salakis, he's a teacher, he's an educator in Australia who contacted me out of the blue and said, you know, I'm putting together a book of, an international book of poems. Um, would you be interested in contributing? So I, I created a poem. Lovely. I wasn't entirely happy with it, but I did it anyway. So it'd be, it'd be good to see what happens there. But yeah, definitely have a love of poetry in that regard. Would you would you like to share a poem or two with us now? Vicky? Well, I've got um, I've got two poems, and again, I, I like them. I think sometimes the motivational aspect, not just for other people, for myself as well. So, the first one I want to share is by L. E. Bowman, and it's called "Keep Going." One of the worst storms I've witnessed came through quietly. No thunder, no lightning just rain, days of rain. And it wasn't even that panning so hard it leaks back up from the ground kind of rain. It was just constant, unrelenting. It flooded yards, snapped limbs, carried trees away. And as I watched it come down, watched it create streams, swell rivers, transform landscapes, I saw a lesson in the water. Each drop whispered, you don't have to be much. You just can't quit. Mm. Lovely. Lovely. So that's the first one. And if, if, if we have time for me to read another? Yes, please do. Okay, so this one is called Take Time by Liam Porter. Take time. Take time for now. This is the only moment you are sure of. Take time for friends. They will help you through the very worst days. Take time for family. You will miss them immeasurably when they are gone. Take time for work. But don't let work take all of your time. Take time to laugh. Laughter raises spirits and lifts the gloom. Take time for music. It will feed your soul and bring you joy. Take time to exercise. You have one body. You should look after it well. Take time for you. For if you keep dividing yourself, what will be left? Take time to understand that we cannot save time. We can just try to use it wisely. Take time to live. Beautiful. Thank you, Bookie. I'd like to share one as well, if I may. I'd be interested <laughs> With, in this, yes. I, I, um, I, I'm quite new to poetry. I don't think I ever fully appreciated the value of poetry as a younger person. And um, I... I came to it quite late in life, but I came across, I, I'm in a lovely group and somebody in the group shared this recently and it's called For Courage by John O'Donoghue. When the light around lessens and your thoughts darken until your body feels fear turn cold as stone inside, when you find yourself bereft of any belief in yourself and all you unknowingly leaned on has fallen, when one voice commands your whole heart and it is raven dark, 
steady yourself and see that it is your own thinking that darkens your world. Search and you will find a diamond thought of light. Know that you're not alone and that this darkness has purpose. Gradually, it will school your eyes to find the one gift your life requires hidden within this night corner. Invoke the learning of every suffering you've ever suffered. Close your eyes, gather all the kindling about your heart to create one spark. That's all you need to nourish the flame that will cleanse the dark of its weight of vested fear. A new confidence will come alive to urge you towards higher ground where your imagination will learn to engage difficulty as its most rewarding threshold. Wow. Seems to be a theme, Bookie, of just strength and courage and keeping going. Uh, and I think that's what we, we all definitely need at this time. Definitely. I think also as, you know, this time of year, you know, we have a, uh, longer colder dark nights yeah. so the idea i think about darkness but take taking strength in that I'd, yeah great poem so yeah great <laughs> yeah. good one yeah. well thank you so much bookie it's been a joy speaking with you today thank you again maria likewise i really enjoyed the conversation today thank and thank you. you again for the opportunity thank you well i've been speaking with bookie yusuf you can connect with bookie on twitter and instagram at rondell 10 underscore B. Again, this is in the show notes in case you're doing something where you can't make a note of this. You can connect with Bookie on LinkedIn and at her YouTube channel. Yeah, so I'll share the notes. So on LinkedIn, you can connect with me as Bookie Yusuf. Um, with regards to YouTube, if you look for B Yusuf, Teach Lead Coach, you'll find my YouTube channel, my growing YouTube channel there. Right. Fantastic. Bookie, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you again, Maria. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.